Matthew chapter 5, uh, Matthew chapter 5, um, and just hold, hold your finger there for a moment, Matthew chapter 5, it's also going to be up on the screen. We are starting, and, and I am going to talk rather quick this morning, so um, I, I, I will try not to ramble or, or go off, um, off script <laughs> to any degree, because I, I believe there's a very important message um, that, that God wants us to hear this morning. I will say this is a message that even as I've been preparing it um, has, I don't want to say unfortunately, has thankfully been, been working on my heart. And so we are starting a brand new series. It's called First Things First over the next three weeks. Uh, we're going to talk specifically today um, about uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. How many are still glad you came this morning? Amen. All right. Okay, good. Hopefully you stay in your seats um, and don't leave today. I, I really believe God wants to do a work in us. And, and like I said, this was a, a message that was um, convicting even as I was, as I was preparing this this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 21. Um, we've been in this passage before. I'll talk about it here in just a moment. Jesus says, you, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, I want you to hear this, verse 23, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Holy Spirit, I pray that in these next few minutes together that you would help me to declare and communicate your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me not to speak a single word of my own, but only that which comes from you. And God, help me to decrease so that you would increase and be the focus of our attention together today. May this word change us, convict us, challenge us, and may it better shape us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Man, you may be seated. There is a, a couple quotes I want to share with you. Augustine of Hippo, um, many, 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 many years ago, um, made this statement. He said, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Another writer, William Barclay, said this, it is not the things which are obviously bad which are dangerous. It is the things which are good which are dangerous for the second best is always the worst enemy of the best. As we talk about this series, First Things First, it's no secret that our priorities as Christians oftentimes have become perverted and our human pursuits are often misguided. We have this tendency as, as, as Americans or as human beings, I should say, we have this tendency to prioritize scholastic and athletic success over a relationship with God. The earthly and the temporal are where we oftentimes invest all of our resources, our time, and, and, and our interests, while the heavenly and the eternal oftentimes are runner-up at best. In a day and age where children, teenagers, and adults are being bombarded with lies from Satan, and where the truth is under attack, I believe it's more important than ever that we realign our priorities. 
Um, I just want to kind of set the stage for you. I, I'm, I'm not going to show, I, I had a video, Brian, I'm going to uh, skip the video um, just for the sake of time this morning. Um, I can send it out to you later if you want to watch it. David Platt, um, who is uh, a writer and a pastor, um, it, it, there's this incredible video where he talks about as, as Christians, especially um, as parents, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are prioritizing the most important things, uh, those things that, that are eternal, those things that will make a difference. And so just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over uh, that video this morning. But today we're beginning a new series called First Things First, which we will, we will consider the values of Jesus as laid out in this first discourse here in Matthew. We talked about this before. We did a, a previous uh, series when we talked about fasting, giving, and praying. And it emerged out of this text here in Matthew chapters five through seven. And this is what is considered the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus, uh, he will sit down and he will begin to teach his disciples, those that are closest to him. Later on, it appears that, that some of the crowd will begin to listen, on, listen in to what Jesus is talking about. But here in Matthew chapter five, he sits down and he begins to instruct his disciples and he begins to talk about the values of the kingdom of God, the values of Jesus, which are in stark contrast to the norms of this world. If you read Jesus's first kind of full teaching in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, you will see that the values of the kingdom that Jesus lays out to his disciples are, are quite different than what the world would expect. Uh, Jesus will say things, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. There's all of these values of the kingdom of God that Jesus will lay out in this, this three-chapter um, discourse called the Sermon on the Mount that are in stark contrast to what the world would proclaim or to what the world would expect. And we know this is true from Matthew. You may want to jot this down. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Really, the, the theme verse of this text, um, he says to his disciples, he says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds or is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he is challenging them. Don't be like those who think they have it all figured out and, and their righteousness was based on works. And Jesus is saying, your righteousness needs to exceed. It needs to be better than the righteousness of the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law. And then he enters into this text in Matthew chapter five, verse 21. This first message that we're going to explore in this series, we're gonna talk about the priority of forgiveness and reconciliation. Everyone's still glad they're here this morning. Amen? Okay, I got a, maybe a few less amens on that one. First thing I want to talk about, there's, there's really just two things I want to, to drive home this morning, two things that really begin to work in my heart, begin to convict, convict me as I was preparing this message. And the first one is this. I want to talk about the urgency of reconciliation. I want to talk about um, the urgency of being reconciled to another brother or sister. Look again at this text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Let's read it one more time. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. 
But I say to you, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice, Jesus says, there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Let me kind of unpack that a little bit because I think here in our 21st century um, context, it's a little bit difficult to understand what's being talked about. First of all, we're not bringing animal sacrifices to an altar, uh, to a temple in Jerusalem. That's not, we're not doing that today. And so I want, I want you to understand what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, especially in relationship to this idea of the urgency of being reconciled to another believer. Because again, our world would say reconciliation isn't, isn't a priority, isn't an urgent matter. But Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he is teaching them the urgency of this principle of reconciliation. First thing I want to mention is Jesus's primary concern in this part of the text. His primary concern is good relationships and repairing broken ones. He begins this section here in Matthew 5 verse 21 by referring back to what we know as the Ten Commandments. Um, Commandment number six, if you go read Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5, Commandment number six found in the Ten Commandments is one that probably we know pretty well. It's been stamped all across our, our nation in various places. Um, I, I know that the building that we, we purchased down here uh, on Main Street, when you walk into that church building, uh, the first thing you see when you walk in, the Ten Commandments are posted right there in front of you. Maybe we need to get back to that. I don't know. But, but the number, the, the sixth commandment in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, is the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And so here in this text, Jesus refers back because they will understand, they, they know of the Ten Commandments. This would not be a foreign concept to them. And so he begins this section by referring back to that sixth commandment that was given to Israel, don't murder. And Jesus notes that committing murder was really only an outward manifestation of the inward attitude and motive of the, of the heart. That's why Jesus will say here in Matthew chapter five, he does it with this commandment. He also does it with committing adultery. He will say, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, and again, we're talking about having a righteousness that exceeds, is better than the righteousness of the Pharisees. And they embrace the 10 commandments. I, we shall not murder, we shall not commit adultery. But Jesus is taking it one step further. He says, but I say to you, if you even have hatred in your heart, you've committed murder against your brother. So Jesus notes that committing murder was only an outward manifestation of the inward attitude and motive of the heart. The inner attitude of anger and verbal abuse that causes division, Jesus is saying to his disciples and saying to us, is just as serious as this outward demonstration of murder. He's looking at his disciples and he's saying, if you have hatred and anger and there's verbal abuse that comes out of your mouth, that is just as serious as the outward manifestation of this commandment that you know and you know well. Because why is that important? Because where does God look? God looks upon our hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what, he knows what our intentions are. Therefore, then, number two, seeking reconciliation is not a matter that can wait until later. It should be a priority. 
let me, let me just unpack this to you. I'm not going to read the text again, but I want, you to give, I want you to understand the context because it seems a little bit weird. He talks about murder. He talks about the, the, the anger in one's heart, and then he tells this kind of obscure um, parable, this obscure story. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. They're, they're listening in, just like you guys are listening so well right now, all right? He's listening, they're listening in to Jesus' teaching and he's instructing them. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he talks about this commandment of murder. And then he says, let, let me explain this to you. Let me paint a picture for you to help portray how urgent, how necessary reconciliation is. He says, suppose somebody, and, and I want you to keep in mind, Jesus is talking to a group of people, he's most likely in kind of the Galilee region. Uh, some people believe maybe he was in Capernaum when he is sitting down and he's doing this teaching with his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to a group of people. They're, they're probably about 80 miles or so away from Jerusalem. Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind. That's important. 80 miles away or so from Jerusalem. And he says to them, and I also want you to know, the only, the only place where, where one could bring a sacrifice to an altar um, correctly was at the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind. So Jesus sits down and he's talking to his disciples. And he says, suppose someone um, grabs a, takes a sacrifice, it would be an animal sacrifice. Suppose someone um, decides they're gonna go, um, as per the custom, they're gonna go to Jerusalem, they're gonna travel, they're gonna make their way to Jerusalem, whether it's on foot, by donkey, by camel, however it was, wasn't in a car with gasoline going, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. All right, it was a much slower journey. He says, suppose somebody decided they're gonna go offer an offering at the altar in Jerusalem. And they get there, they, they take the travel, they, they, they make the travel to Jerusalem. It, it's probably gonna take them several days. If you've got about 80 miles to go and you're going by foot or going by donkey, you're not making any, any uh, record speeds. And, and, and also, in addition to that, whatever sacrifice they're taking, most likely, at times, they could purchase a sacrifice there in Jerusalem, but a lot of times, they would take a sacrifice from their own, from their own flock or from their own, uh, their own well-being. And so, oftentimes, they would take a sacrifice, they would make the journey to Jerusalem, about 80 miles away, take a few days to get there, and they would go to the altar. And the story that Jesus tells, he says, suppose you get to the altar, you have your sacrifice ready, you come to the altar, you lay the sacrifice down, you get down on your knees and you realize that there is a division between you and another brother. Jesus says reconciliation is so important that if you realize in that moment, I want you to, if you have your Bibles open, look again, look at chapter five, look at verse number 23. If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that some, someone has something against you, listen to what Jesus says. He says, I want you to leave, okay? I, I just took about three or four days to travel here to prep, to make this this sacrifice and to offer this offering to the Lord. And I get to the altar, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm probably only five minutes away from making the journey back and being done with this sacrifice. But Jesus says, if you get to the altar, you've brought the sacrifice, you've made the journey there, three or four days to get there and you lay the sacrifice down. And he says, as you bend down and you realize suddenly that somebody has something against you. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to leave, leave the sacrifice there. And I want you to travel back 80 miles where you came from. I want you to go have a conversation 
with that brother, with that sister, whoever it is that has something against you. And I want you to be reconciled to them. And then when you've made reconciliation with that brother or sister, I want you to travel back 80 miles again on foot with a donkey, however that looks. And I want you to come back to the altar. And then Jesus says, then I want you to offer up the sacrifice. That would have been about probably a week's time to leave the altar, to go back to where they came from in Galilee, be reconciled to a brother. And, and that's if the reconciliation went well, all right? But, but it would take about a week to travel back to where they came from and then head back to the altar, hoping that their sacrifice is still there and getting to the altar and then offering up what God called them to. Jesus is trying to illustrate to his disciples the urgency, the urgency of being reconciled to another. The importance of right relationships demands decisive action. Um, The Didache, which is another writing in the early first few centuries on the Eucharist, on the Lord's Supper, this is what it says. It says, let no one who has a quarrel with his fellow join you until they have been reconciled so that your sacrifice may not be defiled. And so there was this sense of, of an urgency that reconciliation was more important than offering your sacrifice at the altar, so much so that Jesus instructs his disciples in this parable in the story that you need to be reconciled first, no matter the cost, no matter how much time it takes you, be reconciled to your brother and sister. That is of utmost importance. The lack of reconciliation and the presence of character issues will lead to bigger problems and greater consequences. If we remain um, unreconciled, if we remain in division with a brother or a sister and we don't, we don't recognize the urgency of reconciliation, that, that will lead to bigger problems and greater consequences down the road. As I was preparing this message, um, and, and it came at a great time, um, as I was preparing this message and began to praying, pr- praying about this and, and preparing this, this word for us today, God began to even convict my own heart. Um, and, and, and in light of all of that, um, I kind of began this process of, of reconciliation with, with another individual um, that I've had contact with in my life. And, and, and I began to recognize that this isn't something that can wait till later. It shouldn't be something, you know what, you know, about a year or so when maybe things settle down, I'll try to be reconciled then. No, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us that reconciliation, reconciliation it is an urgent, urgent matter. If you get to the altar, You've traveled, you're tired, you spent three or four days getting there, carrying the sacrifice, and then you realize that somebody has something against you. This is such an important matter, Jesus says, that I want you to leave that sacrifice there. I want you to go back, go back to your brother, go back to your sister, and be reconciled to them. It is urgent, it is necessary. He's not just talking to his disciples, but he's talking to us. We need to grasp and understand the urgency of reconciliation. And this is a question I would pose not to one individual in this room, but to all of us. Who do we need to be reconciled to? Is there a relationship that is that is broken? Is there a relationship that that we've not and 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 sometimes we do our part and 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 the other doesn't do their part and we do the best we can, but but at the end of the day, who do we need to be reconciled to? It is an urgent matter. Jesus would challenge us to go and be reconciled to our brother and sister. Now, the second thing I wanna talk about this morning, and I'll give this to you real quickly, is the unlimited, this is probably uh, my my favorite point this morning, the unlimited 
availability of forgiveness. How many are thankful that God's forgiveness is unlimited towards you and towards me this morning? Amen. Um, I want to talk about this just for a moment. There's another text. Um, if you just want to jot this text down, um, one of the verses will be up on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 36. This is the fourth discourse uh, in Matthew's gospel, the fourth, te- the fourth teaching. Uh, there are five total teachings of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. The first one is the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the fourth one uh, is, is this particular discourse uh, that actually begins at the beginning of chapter 18. And it begins a, a discourse on relationships with other, other individuals. But we read in chapter 18, verse 21, I want you to hear this Peter, the man that's always um, speaking up first, usually getting himself into trouble. Um, this is a position where he, he thinks he's doing pretty good. He says, Peter came to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then listen to the question that follows, up to seven times? Now, that may not mean like much to us, but let me, let me explain to you what Peter is asking and what he's addressing. First of all, they are addressing here personal forgiveness. And what's very interesting is that, that the rabbinic teaching actually said that three times, forgiving somebody three times is pretty sufficient. That's pretty good. Uh, if somebody hurts you and there's a, there's a brokenness in the relationship, the rabbinic teaching said, if you forgive a brother or sister three times, you've done pretty good. That's a pretty good line to draw. And so Jesus, uh, Peter comes to Jesus and asks the question, how many times, Lord, should I forgive somebody? And, and almost, you can almost hear in this little voice of his, like up to seven times, like a little bit more than what the, the, the rabbis teach us. And so he's really saying, should we forgive them even above and beyond? So for Peter, his understanding, his suggestion of seven times was considered an over-the-top and kind of the outer limits of generosity. The fact that he's going way above and beyond what the, the rabbis taught, Peter's saying up to seven times, is that how much we should forgive brothers and sisters? What, what Peter's really searching for here are the parameters uh, the limitations of forgiveness. What the, the question that Peter is asking is, Lord, where do I draw the line? When is the last time that I should forgive my brother or sister? How far should I go before I stop extending generosity and, and mercy and grace and forgiveness? Peter is asking the question, how far do I go? Where is the line? When do I stop? And I love Jesus' answer Jesus looks at Peter and he says to you, he says to Peter, I tell you, not seven times, which Peter, that's pretty good. That's above and beyond what the rabbis suggest. Not seven times, but 77 times. Let me explain this to you real real briefly. There's all kinds of various interpretations here on the the actual number that, that is given here by Jesus. Um, 70 times seven is, is some, tra- some translations will say, which would be 490. Um, and, and some translations just 77 times, so that number is 77. The reality is it's not about counting the number of times that we extend forgiveness. Jesus is making the point that there are no limitations or parameters on forgiveness. Instead, what Jesus is telling Peter, what he's telling his disciples, what he's telling us He's trying to teach us about the extravagant nature of forgiveness. Peter, it's not, it's not seven times. 
it's 70 times seven. Peter, what I'm, what I'm really trying to tell you today, there isn't a line that you're looking for that then you stop extending that generosity, that forgiveness, that mercy. Instead, I want you to be extravagant in your forgiveness towards other, others. But in order to, to help Peter understand this, he told another parable, another story. And I'll give this to you real briefly and, and I promise we will, we will be done quickly this morning. He tells them a parable in Matthew chapter 18 to communicate the unlimited availability of forgiveness. I wanna just kind of, I'm not gonna read it. I'm gonna kind of tell the story of this parable in Matthew 18. This is what Jesus does. So Peter asked the question, how many times should I forgive? Up to seven. Jesus says, no, not seven, 70 times seven. And then he enters into this, this story, this parable to explain what he is referring to. Parable goes like this. There is a, a, a master. They are in the master's courts, king's court. There is a master who has several servants, several servants that have um, debts to the master that need to be paid off. And so we read in Matthew chapter 18, there is this one master and there is this one servant who owes a lot to this master. So much so that, that if you read into the text and do a little bit of studying, basically it's not about how, an actual number of how much he owes. It's more about the fact that there's no way that this one servant is gonna be able to pay off all the debt that he owes the master. And the master calls for everything to be sold, everything to be sold so that he can begin to pay back what he owes the master. And the servant comes to the master, the king, and he says to the servant, or says to the master, can you, can you give me a little bit more time? Can you extend my deadline is really what the servant is asking. Can you give me more time to, to maybe work a little bit longer so that I can better pay off my debt? And the master had every right to say, no, I need it now or never. The master had every right to say, yes, I'll give you an extension, 30 more days. The master was in the position to make that choice and to make that decision. But what's very interesting Keep in mind, the unlimited availability of forgiveness. What does the master say to the servant? Not only does he not give him more time, the master cancels the debt altogether. This was an, an, an astronomical amount of debt that this servant owed to the master that, that he needed to and really deserved to pay back. But the master, when the servant says, can you give me a little bit more time? I think I can work off this debt. I think I can make it. The master looks at the servant and he says, don't worry about it. Canceling it, gone. You don't have to pay anything back. What's interesting is then the servant who now has just been freed of this entire, this entire debt he goes into the servant's quarter. This servant who just experienced unlimited forgiveness, um, he goes into the servant's quarters and some of his fellow servants are present and there is a fellow servant that owes money to this servant that just had his debt completely paid for. And one of the fellow servants came up to him and said, you know, sir, I, I, and this debt was not even near the amount that the previous servant owed to the master. And this servant said to the other servant, he said, you know what, I, I, if you give me a little bit more time, give me an extension, give me 15 more days, I think I can work enough to make enough money to pay back what I owe you. And keep in mind, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, probably would have been quicker for me to read the story, but a um, whole lot more fun to actually tell you the story. Um, but the servant then looks at the other servant and he says to him, he says, I'm not gonna give you more time. 
I'm not going to give you more time. I want you to pay back everything that you owe me now. The servants who had been given great, or who experienced great generosity, who was forgiven his entire debt when he came to this servant, and he owed something to him, he was not willing to extend the same mercy, the same generosity that was extended to him. First servant, whose debt was completely canceled, was not willing to show that same generosity. A few lessons from this parable I want to share with you. And then I'll bring this to a close. Number one, God's forgiveness is beyond human calculation. God's forgiveness is beyond human calculation. Peter says, how many times? How many times, Lord, should I forgive? Up to seven? Up to seven times? No, not seven. Seventy-seven. He's talking about the unlimited access, availability of his forgiveness. The servant had a debt that was unpayable, even with time. The, the, the servant's debt, that first servant, that debt was so extreme that even if he had months and years, he could have never worked enough to pay off that debt. Yet the master, the king, the Lord, looked at him and said, it's gone, canceled, forgiven. Yet the entire debt was canceled and written off. That's unfathomable to you and me. That doesn't really line up with human logic. If we have a debt, we expect to work hard and to pay off that debt. But the servant experienced great, incredible generosity when the master looked at him and said, your debt, it's forgiven. All of it. You don't have to work hard to pay it off. I'm clearing you of your debt today. It's difficult for us to comprehend that our sins have been paid for in full. Peter writes, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Paul writes in Colossians 1, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We deserved to pay for our debts, to pay for our sin, but the master, the Lord, our God said, it's canceled. It's forgiven. You've been made clean. Number two, God's generosity has no limitations. The master had every right to request full payment for the servant's debt. The reality is that all of us, all of humanity is undeserving of God's forgiveness. Romans 3, 20, Romans 3, 23 say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet his generous forgiveness it is extended to everyone. He has cleared us of our debt. Our sins weren't forgiven partially. They were paid for completely. In the call to worship, we read this text, Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west. And for those that don't really know geography, if you keep you know, going east, you're never gonna be able to go west. You understand that, okay? So as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, God, removed our transgressions from us. His generosity, it has no limitations. He didn't say, if you can work for three years, then I'll pay it off. He didn't say, if you work for a few months, I'll pay it off. He looked at the servant, the master did, and he said, it's gone, it's cleared, it's canceled. Your debt has been forgiven. Forgiveness is available to you to me, to all of us today. And the third thing is this. It might be my favorite one. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. That servant that had his debt 
canceled, paid for in full, didn't have to pay a dime back to the master. He went to his servant's quarter. He went and found one of the servants that owed him something, and he demanded. He demanded. When, when, when that servant asked for an extension, he looked at him and said, no extension given. That servant had this concept out of whack, forgiven people, forgive people. R.T. France says that a community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. If God is able and willing to cleanse us completely of our sin, who are we to withhold forgiveness from another brother or sister? If he is willing to pay for our debts completely and and in full, who are we to go up to another brother and sister and say, you know what, not gonna forgive you. Not interested in reconciliation, not interested in, in repairing this broken relationship. We are called as forgiven people who have experienced forgiveness of sins. We are called to be forgiving people. If we have been shown mercy, we must not fail to show mercy to others. Those who will not forgive must expect, as this servant will see, must expect not to be forgiven. Unforgiveness and holding a grudge um, and, and bitterness is a sin against God. Number three, and finally, the unwavering call to follow his ways. And I'll just give these to you. God's compassion for his people. It's very interesting in this parable, as it said that, that he was, um, uh, the master was stirred in his heart. Um, gives us the picture, remember, in several places where, where Jesus is moved with compassion um, as he looked upon the crowd like sheep without a shepherd, here we see that God's compassion for his people led to his unmerited generosity. Therefore, Christ's followers are demanded to follow his ways and reflect his heart. And so the truth is we need to seek reconciliation now. And we must not, param- we must not put parameters or limitations on our ability to forgive others. I know this is a very hard, hard word. And there's a good chance that every single one of us in this room probably has some type of relationship or friendship that is, that is maybe, um, maybe appears to be or looks beyond repair. But the truth of Scripture, the message of God's Word, number one, is that reconciliation is an urgent matter. It cannot wait. If we go to the altar, we need to leave that sacrifice behind. We need to go back. We need to be reconciled to our brother and sister. And we also must remember that, and, and to me, this is the greatest truth. I'm so thankful for it, is that his forgiveness is unlimited. There isn't a line. It's not seven times and then I, I'm shot, I'm done. His forgiveness is unlimited. And if his forgiveness towards us is unlimited, because guess what? How many times, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or, or to shout out how many times we messed up time after time after time after time again, and we've need to, we go back and say, God, please forgive me. If his forgiveness was limited, some of us in this room, myself included, would probably be in trouble um, because some, at somewhere along the line, that forgiveness then will run out. But thankfully, his forgiveness is unlimited. And so the message of this text here in Matthew chapter five, what he's trying to teach his disciples is, is just simply, number one, reconciliation is an urgent matter. You need to be reconciled to a brother and sister. Number two, his forgiveness is unlimited. Therefore, if we are to reflect his character, if we are to have his mind, as Paul calls us to in Philippians chapter two, have the mind of Christ, if we're going to, as a church, embrace our vision statement to develop biblically sound believers who reflect the character of Christ, then if his forgiveness is unlimited, our forgiveness should reflect his. Our character should reflect 
his character. Would you stand with me this morning?